Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream, connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream, connect the shower, Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to BrainStuff from How Stuff Works. Hey, BrainStuff, I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and today's question is Would you really stay conscious after being decapitated? Let's look first at what consciousness is. The molecular biologist Francis Crick, one half of the research team who discovered the structure of DNA, later in his career came up with what he called the astonishing hypothesis. It is, crudely put, the idea that every aspect of human consciousness, from affinity for one's family to a belief in God to the experience of the color green, is merely the result of electrical activity in our brain's neural networks. As he wrote in 1994, you're nothing but a pack of neurons. At the basis of our conscious experience are chemicals called neurotransmitters. These chemicals generate electrical signals that form the means by which neurons communicate with one another and ultimately form neural networks. 
When we stimulate these networks, we experience the physical sensations and emotions that make up our lives. We store these as memories to be recalled when the neural networks that store them are activated once more. The idea may be a bit glum, but it forms the basis of the idea that the electrical activity in the brain is the detectable trace of our conscious experience. By correlation, then, so long as we can detect this electrical activity through the use of technology like the EEG, which measures brainwaves, we can assume that a person is experiencing consciousness. This is what makes a 2011 study from the Netherlands so troubling. The researchers were trying to determine whether decapitation, which is a common method of euthanizing lab rats, is humane. They connected an EEG machine to the brains of rats, decapitated them, and recorded the electrical activity in the brain after the event. The researchers found that for about four seconds after being separated from the body, the rat's brains continued to generate electrical activity between the 13 to 100 hertz frequency band, which is associated with consciousness and cognition, aka thinking. This finding suggests that the brain can continue to produce thoughts and experience sensations for at least several seconds following decapitation, in rats anyway. Yet, the annals of medicine following the invention of the guillotine have some very interesting scientific observations of human decapitation. Let's look at what happens when one loses one's head. The circulatory system delivers oxygen and other necessary particles via blood to the brain so that the brain can carry out its necessary functions. Deprived of oxygen or blood, the brain's function deteriorates rapidly. Circulation takes place in a closed system based on a pressurized environment. Blood is pumped in and out of the heart and past the lungs, where it's refreshed once more. Decapitation opens this closed system irrevocably, causing a full and massive drop in blood pressure, leaving the brain starved of both blood and oxygen. Depending on how the head is removed from the body, this loss of blood and ultimately consciousness can take longer in some modes of decapitation than in others. Several blows to the back of the neck with a sword or axe can lead to blood loss before the head is fully severed from the body. But the design of the guillotine, the execution method of choice during the French Revolution, made severing the head cleaner and quicker. The blade and weight assembly of the guillotine weighed more than 175 pounds, that's 80 kilograms, and was dropped from a height of 14 feet, or just over 4 meters, from ground level onto the back of the victim's neck. Moreover, the guillotine's blade was set within a track, leading in a direct line down to the back of the victim's neck. There's a rumor that this superior execution technology led to at least one case of apparent consciousness after decapitation. Executions in 18th century France were public affairs, and executioners customarily showed the head of the victim to the assembled crowd. They'd sometimes perform some gesture of disrespect as well, as was the case with Charlotte Corday, a woman executed by guillotine in 1793 after she assassinated the revolutionary leader Jean-Paul Marat. After her head was severed, the executioner smacked its cheeks while he held it aloft. To the astonishment of the crowd, Corday's cheeks flushed, and her facial expression changed into, quote, unequivocal marks of indignation. Most recently, in 1989, an army veteran reported that following a car accident that he was in with a friend, the decapitated head of his friend changed facial expressions, quote, first of shock or confusion, then to terror or grief. Both King Charles I and Queen Anne Boleyn are reported to have showed signs of trying to speak following their beheadings by executioner's swords rather than the guillotine. And when in 1795, a German researcher by the name of S.T. Semmering spoke out against the use of the guillotine, he cited reports of decapitated heads that have ground their teeth and that the face of one decapitated person grimaced horribly when a physician inspecting the head poked the spinal canal with his finger. 
But perhaps most famous was the study conducted in 1905 of the head of an executed criminal. Over the course of 25 to 30 seconds of observation, the physician recorded managing to get the head to open its eyes and undeniably focus them on the doctors, twice, by calling the executed man's name. Some say that none of this proves consciousness. The movement seen in the face could be the result of the voluntary muscles that control the lips and eyes merely being in spasm after a sort of short circuit or from the relic of electrical activity. This is likely true for the rest of the body, but the head has the distinction of housing the brain, which is the seat of consciousness. The brain receives no drama from a clean decapitation and may therefore continue to function until blood loss causes unconsciousness and death. We know that chickens often walk around for several seconds after decapitation. Uh, the Dutch rat study mentioned earlier suggests a length of perhaps four seconds. Other studies of small animals have found up to 29 seconds, but any amount of time would be horrific. Take a moment to count off four seconds while you look around the room. You'll likely find you can take in quite a bit visually and orally during that time. However, we may never fully know if a human remains conscious after the head is lost. As author Alan Bellows points out, further scientific observation of human decapitation is unlikely. Today's episode was written by Josh Clark and produced by Tyler Klang. Josh, who you may have heard on a little show called Stuff You Should Know, has a new podcast coming out called The End of the World. If you enjoy slightly glum but nonetheless fascinating discussions like the one from today's episode, go check it out. The first episode of The End of the World drops November 7th, and the trailer is up everywhere you get your podcasts. And, of course, for more on this and lots of other curious topics, visit our home planet, HowStuffWorks.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, Plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.